one of the things that I wanted to mention as well, I became aware this weekend that uh, Johnny Stanfield's having surgery this morning. He broke his leg, and uh, they're going to have to do surgery on him. So that is actually happening this morning. And so I want to take a moment and just pray for him before we get started on our message this morning. So let's pray. Well, we pray for Johnny this morning. We pray for healing. We pray for uh, discernment and guidance for the doctors as they do the work on him. And pray that you strengthen him and help him to uh, have use of his legs again soon and return home very soon and even return to us here soon. We'll be with Pat and his family as they seek to adjust and, and how to help him and and walk him along the road of recovery and help us as a church family to know how to come alongside them as well. And we also pray for this morning as we open your word, God, we pray that our hearts would be laid bare and your spirit would do what only he can do, and that is bring about change in our hearts as we see you more clearly. And we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to be going into... Chapter 2 of 1 John, you know, we started a series on this letter a few weeks ago. And at the end of 1 John chapter 1, John reminded the church and reminds us today that we can have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And this God that we have a relationship with is both faithful and just. He writes these words in 1 John 1.9. He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now John uses two words there to describe God's relation to us and how He relates to us. And then he's going to, I think, unpack it even more in chapter 2. But he uses two words that I think one of the words we, we would use in a relationship discussion if we were to make a list of, say, you know, what are the top qualities that you would need in a good relationship, a healthy, growing relationship. You know, the first word he uses is faithful, that God is faithful. And this is a word that would probably make our list. You know, we want somebody who is faithful, who is able to be consistent. You know, they can actually carry out what they've said they're going to do. They keep the promises. You know, trust is built on that. And so if we were to make a list of qualities that we would want in a healthy relationship, faithfulness would probably be one of them. But then he uses another word to talk about how God relates to us, and he uses the word, he's just. And I don't don't know if we were to compile that list of qualities that make up a healthy relationship, if we would say, you know, I would like someone who's loving, who's patient, who's faithful, who's just. I, I don't know if it would make our top Five, you know, but it would probably make its way out in different qualities that we would mention. But he says there that God is both faithful and he's just in how he relates to us. And the next couple verses in chapter two, we're going to come to a better understanding of, of why both the faithfulness of God as well as the justice of God, how both of those attributes and characteristics of God are crucial to have resting on us in a favorable way. And so that's what he's going to unpack in the next couple of verses of chapter 2 in 1 John. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 John. It's toward the back of your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, we have one in the the pew in front of you. We encourage you to, to grab that and find it. 
And I'm going to read the verses aloud as well. The first two verses in 1 John chapter 2 say this. John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so John starts chapter 2 with, my little children. And you see, right off the bat here, that John has this strong relationship to his readers. He uses this very endearing term of, you know, my little children. Which also communicates to us that John is probably older in age when he's writing this. And so he he may even be the last living eyewitness to Jesus and, and what he taught in his earthly ministry here while he walked on the earth. John John may be the last living person who actually saw and heard and touched Jesus Christ when he was here on the earth. And so he writes to his readers there at these churches and he says, you know, my little children. And you see just the strong connection he has to them relationally. And then he's going to give instruction to those who have placed their faith in Christ. And first he's going to tell us that we should not sin. And then he's going to tell us what happens when we do sin. So the first thing he says, if you look with me in verse 1, he says, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. You know, earlier in chapter 1, John has warned the churches about differing perspectives on sin. There was a group that said, you know, actually it doesn't matter what you do. If you have a relationship with God, it doesn't matter how you behave. That's just irrelevant. There's another group that says, you know, actually, since I became a Christian, I just don't sin anymore. I'm without sin. And John says, actually, sin does affect your relationships and your relationship with God. And if you say that you're without sin, you deceive yourself, one, and then you also make God out to be a liar because he tells us that we all sin. We all fall short of his glory. And so then he goes down into chapter one. And and just in case we walk away from chapter one thinking, well, sin, you know, you know, well, you know, if we have sin, it's okay. We're cleansed by the blood of Jesus. John says, actually, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. Because sin does affect our relationship with God. There are these relational consequences of sin and that we need to admit our sin, which is what John tells us. And later in the letter of 1 John, he gives us a definition of sin. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, John says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know, a couple weeks ago we had the tax deadline. You know, you had to get your taxes in by a certain time. I actually had to file an extension, which is a nice little grace period you can apply for while you gather all your you know, details. With us moving from you know, North Carolina down to Georgia, just complicated the whole process. So, got the extension, I got everything in. So I think I'm good to go. But let's just say, you know, it's tax time, you're filing your taxes, and you just decide, you know what? I'm not filing taxes. I'm not paying taxes. You know, it's my money. I'm just going to do what I want with it. Well, over time, perhaps the IRS will take notice of that, and it will contact you, and if they can catch up with you, 
there, there's going to be consequences. And the reason being is because there are laws, there are tax laws that the government has put down that if you don't obey, there will be consequences. And so what John's saying here is that there is a law, in other words, there, there is a way that God wants us to relate to Him and relate to each other. And if we go against that, that's sin. Sin is lawlessness. It's, it's living in disregard for what God has said. Just like you just decided not to pay your taxes, you're living in disregard of what the federal government says or what the state government says. So sin is lawlessness. Now, you may be thinking, well, if I'm a Christian, then, then what happens then when I sin? What do I do with that? What happens to me when, when that happens? You know, what happens when I do not obey God perfectly? Or, you know, what happens when I have uh, jealous thoughts? When I look at someone else and I, I want what they have. I want the position they have. I want the, the relationship they have or whatever it may be. What happens when I lose my temper? Or, you know, what happens when I cheat or lie? You know, what happens then? What do you, what do, you do with that? John tells us, I write these things so that you will not sin. But then he tells us what we will do or what we need to do if we, if we do sin. And he recognizes that although we have been brought into a relationship through faith in Jesus Christ, we are not immune to sin. And so John writes these words. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So if... Christian, if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. And so he uses this very relational term of advocate here. When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And just about every English translation of the Greek New Testament translate the word, this word as advocate. And this word advocate actually is only used by John in the New Testament. He uses it a couple times in this letter, and then he uses it a few more times in his gospel that he writes. I want to read you a few verses from the gospel of John, and just give it, it helps us to give a, get a sense of what this word means. The Greek word there is parakletos. And I want to read to you how he uses this word in the gospel, and then we'll come to a better understanding, I think, of how he uses it here in this verse, in verse 1 and 2 of John, 1 John 2. In John 14, 16 through 17, here's what he says. I will, ha- I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper. And there's the word, helper. Okay? To be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. So you see he's talking about the Holy Spirit here, and he's calling the Holy Spirit the Helper, the Parakletos. In John 14, 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Later in John 15, 26, he says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father... He will bear witness about me. And so you're getting a feel here of what this helper does. He, he leads them into all truth. He bears witness about Jesus. He's coming from God. And then in John 16, 7, it says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. 
It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so you see here, John is referring to the Holy Spirit as the helper. The parakletos. He's the one who will uh, come into the world and bear witness about Christ. He will plead the case of Christ to the world. That He is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God. And He will lead the believers into truth. They're the disciples. He'll lead them into truth so that they can communicate that truth to everyone else, just like 1 John is doing. And so the Holy Spirit has a role. He's called the Helper. And in 1 John... Jesus, I mean, John uses the same word, but instead of talking about the Holy Spirit, he, he uses that term and he attaches it to Jesus. So Jesus is our advocate. He is our helper. He is our parakletos. He is the righteous one. And so we see Jesus being our advocate. He's the one who's qualified to take on this position. He's the one who can... Stand for us. And so this word advocate, you know, what does it mean? Well, we see here in the Holy Spirit, when it's referred to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has a certain role He takes on. And in the same way, Jesus has the same type of role in that he, He's our advocate. He comes alongside us to speak on our behalf to someone else. And that someone else is God the Father. And so... If you think about it in today's terms, it may be a lawyer. You may have to go before a judge, and so you decide to hire a lawyer. Someone who maybe is a little more articulate than you in, the matters, in matters of the law, and so they can take your case and put it together in such a way that hopefully as you present it to the judge, he'll let you off. He'll drop the charges. And so... For example, if, you are, if you've been charged with a crime and you actually didn't commit the crime, you would hire a lawyer, they would put together the case, and they would present it to the judge. And if the case is presented well, the judge will declare you not guilty and will let you off. And that works well if you're innocent. But it's a little more of a challenge if you're guilty. And John is saying, Christian, if you're guilty of sin, if you've actually committed sin, if you have sinned, now what? Now what are, you, what, are we, what, are we, what are we supposed to do with our sin? He says, well actually you have an advocate with the Father. So you have someone who can go before God the Father and represent you and speak favorably on your behalf. And so how does God respond to our sin? Jesus is our advocate. He's representing us. How does God respond to our sin? How does, how does the judge respond to our sin? Now, I remember back when I was at Clemson, I was a freshman in college. I had just recently placed my faith in Jesus Christ. I had recently become a Christian. And I, I really didn't fully understand what Jesus had done for me. And maybe you can relate to this. I had this mindset that, you know, I trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin because I knew I was guilty before God. I was guilty of the crime before the judge. There's no doubt about it. And so how could I relate to God? Well, it was through what Jesus did for me on the cross. So I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. But I still had this idea that, you know, what Jesus really did is, if you can imagine a, a race, maybe your life is a race. 
you know, what Jesus really did was kind of give me this push start at the starting line and got me kind of going in the right direction. But it was really up to me to kind of keep myself going till I, till I got to the finish line of, line of heaven with God. So Jesus gave me this jump start. You know, he gave me the push I needed to kind of keep going. But it was up for me to kind of keep it going. And so let me explain to you how this would look maybe in a specific instance. Let's say you sin. Maybe you, you know, you found yourself, you know, racked with jealousy or angry and you just lost your temper or you cheated or you lied or you did something. You know it was a sin. So now, now you're sitting there alone, you're, you're, you're thinking, you're meditating on your relationship with God, and you think, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I've, I've done it again, I've sinned again, what, what's going to happen to me? And you may picture the court in heaven going something like this. God, the judge, the judge bench there, and the, he's, sit, he's sitting up there, and uh, he says, you know, you know, Ron... He did it again. <laughs> he sinned again. And then Jesus walks in, my advocate, and he says, I know he sinned again. He told me about that. But I just beg you, just give him another chance. You know, he's, he was on a good stretch there for a little while. He fell back into, I know he did it. He said he did it, but... Just give him another shot at it. Maybe next time, you know, he'll maybe do a little better. And then God says, okay, all right, that's all right. We'll give him one more shot. We'll see what happens. That, that's what was going on in my mind. That, that I, I had a relationship with God, but I had to kind of maintain it. Try hard, not mess up, you know, keep going and not fall away. But that's really not how the conversation goes in heaven between God the Father and our advocate, Jesus Christ. And to understand how the conversation actually goes, you have to look at verse 2. John says, He, meaning Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now I want to focus on that word propitiation. That's not a word we use a lot. You know, I don't go around in my everyday speech talking about propitiation. However, we, we understand this concept and we actually practice it a good bit. Think about it like this. If you have a relationship with anybody, this could be with your boss at work, a co-worker, a spouse, a child, a grandchild, a grandparent, a sister, a brother, anybody you have a relationship with. Have you ever done this? In your relationship, you've done something wrong against the person. And let's say hypothetically that I've done something wrong against my wife. Not that that ever happens, but let's just say it did. Notice she's not here this morning because she's actually uh, at home with my son. He's not feeling well, so I can use this illustration. Just, just hypothetically, I do something wrong against Celia. What do you do when you do something wrong against somebody? And you know it. Like you, really, you come to the point where you agree that you know, that was wrong of me. So how do you respond? Well, sometimes this is what we'll do. We may do something nice for the person. You know, I may take Celia out on a date night, take her to a nice restaurant, you know, hoping that maybe that'll get me back in her good favor, you know. Or maybe, you know, you may clean the house. 
or wash the car or put in some extra work at you know, work. You do some extra jobs there. You know, you, you try to do something to propitiate the other person, which means you try to do something that will put yourself in good standing with them again. So we're familiar with this concept, even though we don't use the word that much. When you propitiate someone, you try to put yourself in their good favor or try to regain good favor with them. And so, some of you, you know, may even be trying to propitiate someone this morning by coming to church. <laughs> if I come to church with this person, other person, they might think well of me. You know, there's a number of ways we do this. And people throughout history have done this. Not only in relationships with one another, but they've also translated this idea of propitiation to how they relate to the gods. And so, in all these pagan religions, you have uh, mankind wanting to propitiate the gods. They want to get in their good favor. And so they sacrifice something. Maybe it's an animal. Maybe, it's, maybe they burn something. Maybe they give something. Maybe they make an oath or a promise. But there's some way to say, you know, I want more crops this season. And so, you know, I'm going to kill this horse or whatever it may be. I'm going to give something so that I'll be in their good favor. <clears throat> it's just like when we say, <clears throat> you know, I'm going to take them out to eat or I'm going to wash the car. I want to try to get back in their good favor. So this has been going on for forever, this idea of propitiation. However, the propitiation that John is talking about here with Christianity it's much different than the pagan religions and all the other religions of the world and even how we deal with one another. I want to read a few verses in John's letter, 1 John, that will help us understand the Christian concept of propitiation. 1 John 1.7 says, The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 3.16 we read, by this we know love that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Then in 1 John 4.10 we, we read, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now let's go back to that conversation in heaven. God says, you know, Ron... He did it again. He sinned again. And Jesus comes in as my advocate and He says, you know, you're right. He sinned again and He's told me about it. He admitted it. It is true. He did sin again. But instead of appealing to the mercy of God, Jesus actually appeals to the justice of God. Because remember, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So he appeals to the justice of God. And he says, you are right in that God, I mean that Ron has sinned against you. However, he's not guilty. And you say, how could that be? <laughs> he's admitted it. He's done it. How can, he not, how can he be not guilty? Well, even in our legal system, we have this concept of double jeopardy. And double jeopardy goes like this. It's, it's a procedural defense that forbids a defendant 
from being tried again on the same or similar charges following a legitimate acquittal or conviction. In other words, you can't be convicted of the same crime twice. And so Ron sinned. You're right, he did. But guess what? The penalty for his sin has already been taken care of. So we can't try him again. We can't pile on more consequence for the sin. We can't pile up any more condemnation, judgment on him. Because the the price has been paid. That's why Paul in Romans 8, 1 and 2 could say this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So Christ is not only the advocate. Not only does he come before God and appeal on my behalf so that I can be back in God's good favor. But rather, he's not only the advocate, but he's the actual sacrifice of my sin. So he's the actual payment itself. Which is completely different from every other religious system in the world. Because in every other system, we offer the sacrifice. We bring something to the table. But in Christianity, Christ is both the priest and the sacrifice. He's both the advocate and He's the propitiation. He's the one. He's the only one. He's the only qualified one that can intercede for us And through Him, we remain always in God's good favor. So both John and Paul are saying that when you are in Christ, then your crimes against God, your sin, your lawlessness, the penalty has been paid completely in Him. And you cannot be tried again for the same crime. Christ is our advocate. Now how are you dealing with your sin this morning? You know, if you're not a Christian, your only hope for forgiveness is through the advocacy and the propitiation of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can step into the courtroom of God and present a sacrifice that will get you off the hook, so to speak. Legally, and also relationally put you into the family of God. He's the only one that can do that. And so I encourage you today, if you're not in Christ, to place your faith in Christ. Make Him your advocate, your sacrifice for your sin. Now if you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, how are you dealing with your sin? Did you have that mindset, or do you have that mindset that I had? That, you know, Jesus got me in there, but i got to really crank it out i got to try to maintain it. It's all up to me now. Or do you see that the penalty has been paid in full? Now I want to encourage you, as Christians, we should not sin. But when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father who is the propitiation for our sins. And so this morning, as we, as we close... I want to give each of us just a moment, just take a moment to express your dependence on your advocate.
in Christ. Maybe this is the first time you approach God through Christ this morning. Or maybe you've done it many times. But I want you to really lean into that this morning. Take a moment and just go before the Lord. Acknowledge that Christ is your advocate. That His payment was enough. And thank Him for what He's done for you. And then, I want to gather us all together in a prayer of thanksgiving in just a moment. So just take a moment, personally, individually, and just go before the Lord in prayer and thank Him for what He's done for you in Christ. come before you God knowing that you are light and in you there is no darkness at all we come before you knowing that on our own it would be impossible to stand in your light at your judgment we thank you this morning that you and you alone have made it possible for us to be placed in your good favor while you remain faithful and just God we recognize that This was only accomplished through the sacrifice of Your own Son, Jesus Christ. This morning we find our hearts renewed as we realize that Christ is our Advocate. We ask that You would fill us with Your Holy Spirit, that we may walk in the light as You are in the light. And it is in the inconquerable name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Now if you would like to place your faith in Christ and tell someone you've done that. Or if you'd like to join us here in this church as we link arms to be an advocate to the world, to tell, tell the world about Christ, I encourage you to come talk to me about that as well. Or if you simply need prayer. So as we stand and sing our final hymn, I'll meet you in the front.